Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me two guests, Lisa Ramos and David Garden. They're both health and safety impact speakers. So Lisa and David, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you with me. Good morning. Thank you. So first, uh, Lisa, why don't you start by sharing a little bit of uh, your story? Yeah, so I was working for a, a logistics company. Um, I was based within the warehouse. They was also working there. That's how I initially um, found out about the vacancy. Mm -hmm. um, I did have very close proximity to Fortlift Trucks. Now, the day of the accident, um, I hadn't done anything particularly different from any other day. Mm -hmm. And about half an hour before the end of my shift, I was walking past where we had some of our container bays and I was knocked to the ground by a reversing forklift. Wow. I hadn't realised that he was in the empty container and he hadn't realised that I just walked past it. So, so tell me about the environment because this is something, as, as I remember you were sharing, that you cross through this particular area on a regular basis. It was the marked path, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so we, within our uh, warehouse, we did have designated walkways. However, they were more of a visual. So it, there wasn't really any segregation. It would be marked out on the floor sure. with a piece of green tape, you know. And so where this particular walkway was... Um, in hindsight now, you think, well, why would a walkway have been put there when it was an area where the fortless would be going in and out? Mm. You know, so, you know, it it wasn't put in the best location in hindsight. In hindsight. On that particular day, um, we'd finished all of our work. The area was completely silent because there was no more work to be done within that area. And I think that although I had become very complacent and felt very comfortable around the forklift drivers, I think probably because we'd done all of our work, that added to it because there was no reason for anybody to be within that area anymore. You know, so I walked past the first one the driver's in there with his engine off. He's reversed out, but he's not reversed out far enough. And then he's come and reversed onto me where I'm on the walkway. Right. Wow. So, so tell me about the, the incident um, and, and the aftermath. Um, so, I, I, David, I think you weren't, um, you weren't there. You were coming to pick Lisa up, correct? Yeah, I was... Um... Travelling to work to pick Lisa up, 
Um, I remember, you know, number one, walking across the car park and everybody else was coming out. And I noticed that none of them could sort of like look at me, if you get what I mean. Oh, right. Then none of them acknowledged me. Um, you know, and then the group leader took me to where Lisa was on the floor. Um, but she, she was just covered in coats, so I couldn't actually see what her injuries were or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, the medical staff were there looking after her. Uh, we went in, we obviously got loaded into an ambulance and then taken off site. And it wasn't until we got to the hospital and the doctor came mm-hmm. to examine her that I actually saw, that's when I first saw her injuries. Wow. And, and so tell me a little bit about what was the effect in terms of, uh, you, you often talk about the effect on the family, the, the ripple effect. Lisa and David, what, what were some of the themes that emerged um, and that happened as a result? I think the um, the main the main ripple effect for us was the impact on our son. Mm-hmm. You know, even to this day, you know, I know that we focus a lot now on mental health, mm-hmm. and I think that there is so much focus on the injured party. You know, that there was. Lots of counselling. I mean, I probably had counselling for about three years. So I was able to overcome what had happened and then accept that this was my new life now because if you don't accept it, Mm -hmm. then it's not only hard for you, but it's hard for everybody around you. But I think because everybody is so focused on the injured party, you don't really see what's happening right in front of you. You know, so for us, the impact on our son, I mean, the day of the accident, it was actually his 13th birthday. And so when I look back now, it was, we didn't live near any of our family. So Dave had to ring him up and say, look, your mum's had an accident at work. It isn't serious, but you've got to ring all your friends up, cancel your party, he was then waiting for my mum to pick him up. So he didn't actually know how serious my injuries were until the following morning when Dave brought him in to see me. So even that aspect of it, where Dave knew the night before that my foot had been amputated, he's then got to go and fetch Kieran from my mum's and pretend that I broke my leg because... We had made the decision that it was better for him to be told by me mm-hmm. when he could see me face to face than be told by somebody else. You know, little things like when I came out of hospital and his birthday cake was still in the box, you know, little things that you're then like, wow, you know, his birthday is never going to be the same again and trying so hard to make it about him Mm-hmm. rather than you and that's far far more difficult for other people you know because it gets to his birthday and you might have a little cry and be a little bit upset but you know you've got to pull yourself together because it's not about you it's about him but other people for many years afterwards 
would ring me on Kieran's birthday and it would be, are you okay? But you're trying so hard not to make it about you, you know, yeah. and so at, so at times it was as though they wanted you back there, but you were trying so hard to move on, you know, and, mm. and let Kieran have his birthday back. You know, for her, for us, you know, the mental health side of things, Dave suffered, I suffered, Kieran sure. still suffers. I know that my mum and my stepmom found it very difficult to come to terms with. In fact, I think that I would put Kieran suffering the most than maybe my mum and my stepmom because they found it quite difficult, mm. you know, to see me go from this person into this other person. Sure. You know, especially my mum. My mum sees loss, you know. So if I was walking, my mum wouldn't think, wow, she's walking. My mum mm -hmm. would think, but look how she's walking. Look how she's struggling. You know, it's very difficult for her to separate the two, whereas that's what I've had to do. In my mind, it's before and it's and it's after, you sure. know. But for Kieran, you know, at the time, and many years after, it's probably only in the last couple of years where he has realised that this did impact him. For Kieran, he, he got freedom after I had my accident because I was so focused mm. on my rehabilitation that he got freedom. For him, that was a positive. For us, that wasn't a positive because he started at you know, hanging around sure. with people he shouldn't have been hanging around with. And then these people got worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, his behaviour is so different to what we would have wanted for him. Mm -hmm. You know, and the, the struggles that he's had. Simple things like being able to express yourself. You know, right. it's a crucial point in his life. He watched me behave in a volatile, aggressive manner when things weren't going my way. So for him, that's quite normal to just explode, you know, and have this anger, you know. For him, he struggles to express himself emotionally. Everything is anger, you know, and you can't behave in that manner. But for him, that's quite normal, you know, and you can only do so much in terms of counselling and that type of thing when that person doesn't really want to have counselling, right. you know, or doesn't really think they've got a problem. You know, it's only really now that he's accepting a lot of, um, a lot of support, you know, mm -hmm. and we are hopeful that, you know, by the end of it, that he can go on to have a happy life because, you can't be happy when you're so full of anger and rage, right. you know. And I'll be honest, I was like that. I was like that for probably three years. I was so angry, and I, it was all focused on the driver. That's who mm. I was angry at, you know. And you look, you're looking to blame somebody because it's far easier to blame somebody else True. than to blame yourself, you know, or even take responsibility for any part of it, you know. I do feel a lot differently now, but that's only been in the last 
few years and my accident's coming up to 17 years now. You know, I've not changed the fact that the driver wasn't looking where he was going. Mm. You know, the walkway shouldn't have been there. Sure. But I have changed the fact in terms of looking at where did I go wrong? What could I have done to have changed what happened that day? And there's lots of things that I could have done. I just no longer saw the danger anymore. You know, I'd gone from being frightened when I first started working there because I've never worked in such a busy environment. I don't come from a warehouse background. I'd come Mm. from an administrative teacher kind of background. Sure. You know, and so I went very quickly from being afraid of these vehicles to no longer seeing them as being dangerous. And I think that being complacent when you are working around people who you think work safely mm-hmm. can also be a problem. I was using an example the other day that when you're in a supermarket car park, you don't know these people who are driving in and out of the car park right. inspectors. And you're alert and you're watching what they're doing and you're careful. Go into a warehouse environment where you've worked with these people and you know that they are safe drivers. You've picked up so many bad habits, Mm -hmm. you're relying on somebody else. You know, you're no longer alert, you no longer see danger that you may have saw at the beginning. You know, and I think that the other thing is, is that I didn't really see forklifts as being anywhere near as dangerous as a car. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I saw it. It was this little cute moving machine, you know, and I didn't really realise the damage right. that a forklift could do to a person. You know, I mean, the driver, when he, when he ran me over, uh, he actually said he thought he'd run over a roll of tape. So the tape that we used to use would be about this big, Mm -hmm. and that's what we'd mark the floor out with, and that's what he thought he'd run over. And it was only ages afterwards where I thought, oh, my God. You know, the impact to the vehicle that he felt he thought was a roll of tape, you know, which... It's just, you know, it's just so unbelievable. But I think that people sometimes think that the worst, the worst injuries is the actual amputation. Mm-hmm. That that isn't. It's the pain that comes with that, you know. Sure. So not only do I have phantom pain, which I'm laughing because to a lot of people, it's um, a bit unbelievable that you could be in pain for something that's no longer there. But for me, sure. it's feels a very physical pain but it's also the nerve damage because our walkway was so close to the container bays i'm on that walkway he's reversed onto me on the walkway the only way that he could get off me because he's reversed over me he's tore everything one way so the only way for him to get off me was basically running me back over so he's then taught everything the other way so all the dirt nerve damage that came with that. But what I used to find really, really uh, peculiar was the fact that the nerve damage that I suffered, the end of the stump, I couldn't actually feel. 
So if I was wearing a prosthetic, I wouldn't be able to feel if it was rubbing, blistering, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I could feel my foot and I could move my foot, you know, wow. which is, is, is so crazy. Even to this day, I can feel my foot, you know. Mm -hmm. So since day four of the accident, which is even stranger, because you think, well, if you're going to feel it, surely you'd feel it at the time. No, right. they took my foot on the Friday. I felt my foot on the Tuesday when they took the leg. You know, so it's um, one of those really, really peculiar things that even, you know, doctors and those people up there, yeah, they can't explain why it is. I think it's to do with the brain and the signal not quite getting there in time. It's a comforting, it is a comforting sensation, but the pain side of things is is just is just unbelievable at times. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. I want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of getting comfortable with the danger. Um, because yeah. I think you come into an environment, you hopefully got some training in terms of the risk, the dangers, the environments, how, how do you protect yourself in this context. And then over time, you start getting comfortable with the risk and the hazards. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me a little bit more about that. And are there ways to, to prevent that degree of comfort? Well, when, when I started, we had an induction. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, part of that was some health and safety. I can remember watching a video that was a man who basically got like a fake arm in his shirt and the forklift took the arm off and it was all very, it was more comical than uh, informative, you know. And so I didn't really, I didn't, re it didn't really go into my mind that, wow, these That's are dangerous. Right. I didn't like being around the forklifts to begin with. But then I watched my colleagues and I thought, I was the first female that had ever worked within that warehouse. So I don't know whether some of these different things were factors and that I didn't want anybody to think, oh, we knew we shouldn't mm. have had a woman in here because she can't handle it. You know, but I know that it didn't take very long for me to become comfortable around the forklifts. I mean, my um, area within that warehouse, you know how you can get partitions, uh, exhibitions, which is basically sure. a stand with a bit of sponging on it. So I had two sides of that, but I would have forklifts on all four sides. So you was basically not even a cubicle within the warehouse space. It was basically just two partitions, one at the back, one at the side, but forklifts would be on all four sides around you. You know, and so even when I look back now, I think, wow, that 
that really wasn't that really wasn't good. You know, I know it's not possible to segregate within all businesses. You know, but obviously, we know that the only way to prevent something like this from happening sure. is segregation, or as much segregation as you can possibly do. You know, there wasn't really any segregation there. I also think the attitude towards health and safety. You mm-hmm. know, there re- there wasn't really any kind of attitude towards health and safety. I thought that I worked very safely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only in the last few years where I started really analysing my own behaviour. And I'm not saying I'd have flashbacks mm-hmm. or anything like that, but I'd think of a time where I'd say to the forklift driver, oh, bring yeah. us that pallet over here, mate. And I'd check it on his forks while his engine's running. You know, mm-hmm. and, and when I look back now, I think, why would I have done Right. Or why would I have behaved like that? And I think that I felt comfortable. That driver was safe. He never mm. gave me no reason not to be safe. But you just think, why would I have put myself in a position? You know, so although I don't think I did anything particularly wrong the day of the accident, there were definitely things that I could have done to prevent it, you know, speaking up. I think yep. all of us could have done something, something. different. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, I was Lisa's team leader, so, you know, why didn't I see the danger? You know, mm. I'm supposed to be there to protect people. Right. As part of my job. Yep. And even I didn't see the danger. And I'd worked there for, you know, years, doing the right. same thing as what Lisa was doing. Mm-hmm. I never saw the danger neither. I think the problem is as well is that because there'd never been anybody injured, if there was any damage, because it's stock, it's not really taken the same way. Sure. You know, right. And so if a pallet's been damaged, a pallet's been damaged. You know, right. we don't look at that as, wow, that was a close call. Let's yep. let's have a think about what we can do differently. The states of people's forklift trucks, you know, they're all scraped up, scratched and got mm-hmm. dinty. You know, it, the, there's a lots, there's lots of things that I think the us as employees could do. I also think there's lots of things that management could do because I think okay. we all have our different priorities, you know, that we are working towards. You know, in my case, nobody ever said to me, Cut corners, work unsafely, you know, product over people. No one ever Mm. said that. I think it was an invisible pressure that I put on myself that I thought, right, well, we need to get 10 loads done today, but we're one man down, we've still got to do it. Sure. And I think from an employee, you think to yourself, if you if you do think to yourself, oh, well, in order to achieve that, I've got to cut corners. You're assuming that those above know what you're doing because mm. how do they think we've achieved that when we haven't got the right amount of staff? You know, but obviously they've got their own priorities sure. that they are working towards and don't necessarily realise that, you know, in order to achieve the same amount of work, you are cutting corners. Therefore, you're working unsafely. I also think that, uh, those on the ground floor 
should have more involvement in the risk assessment. Right. Because I think that, you know, if I was cutting corners, at no point would I have thought, I'm going to cut this corner because then I can get my work done. But now mm -hmm. I'm working on safely because I probably didn't re realise the repercussions of missing out one sure. tiny bit of my job, which will save me time. You know, so I think that if people are involved in the risk assessment, the more likely to buy into it and think, right, well, I need to do it like this because, right. and these are the reasons. You know, it's a bit like um, when your mum and dad say, because I told you so. You know, mm -hmm. your bosses say, work like this because I told you so. If you know the reason behind that, you're more likely to go, well, actually, yeah, they're right, because they want to, they want yeah. us to go home safely, you know, and go home in the same peace that we right. that we arrived. So I think that the problem is at the minute is that in order for people to work safely, mm -hmm. everybody has got to participate. I think we focus a lot on those who are on the ground floor, the ones who are going to get injured, sure. you know, because they're the, they're the ones who would get hurt. But the problem is if the supervisors and the managers also aren't, aren't on board with that, sure. it makes your job very difficult because if you are short-staffed or you are running behind, the expectation there is to still do your amount of work, but how can I do my the same amount of work mm -hmm. if I've not got the same amount of time, people, and all those other things that are needed to work safely. I'd like to, to touch on something else because you you talked about this pathway, which was marked with tape. Um, I think a lot of it is you talk about risk assessments, which I think is phenomenal, getting more people involved. But you also want people to speak up yes. when they see yeah. something to drive improvement. So what? tell me a yeah. little bit about... How, how the organization can help and foster that and also the individual role around it. Because I think the speaking up piece like with that pathway, it probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was probably in the wrong place. It should have been somewhere else. I believe, yeah, I believe it was in the wrong place. But believe it or not, there are still businesses who have the walkway precisely in that same place, even to, even to this day. Sure. You know? And, I mean, for us, we've got the health and safety executives if they mm -hmm. made the decision and said, right, within the UK, you no longer are allowed walkways there, that would sure. that would make things so much more easier for businesses because they'd know they were breaking the law. Yeah. They can't do it. You know, for me, every single day I was on that walkway. If I was doing 10 loads, I'm on that walkway more than 10 times. At no point when I poked my head in to see if there was a forklift, forklift in that container... Did I think to myself, oh, that's dangerous because I, he could have come out and I wouldn't have seen right. him. So every single time that that happened, I had the opportunity to report that and didn't. Now, I don't know had I reported it, if anything would have been right. done. Because I, I personally believe at that time, there was no health and safety culture, not from hers and not from management, mm -hmm. you know. But at the same time, no one was stopping me from reporting that. I never reported right. anything the whole time I was there. You know, and I think that a lot of businesses now do make it a lot easier for people mm -hmm. to report things. You know, we've gone into businesses where 
they have anonymous systems. So if there's something going on, but you haven't got the courage, because sometimes there can be repercussions, sure. whether it's a member of staff that's working on safely, you know, you don't always feel comfortable going up to that member of staff and saying you're working on safely. It doesn't always go down very well. You know, so there's anonymous, you know, ways to report things. You know, we've gone to one business and they came up with this system where they input it onto an app. It goes directly to the top guy in health and safety mm -hmm. alongside the other people in health and safety who should sure. be dealing with it. But because it's gone to him as well, he gets to see it. Sure. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. You know, they've got an app where they can go, you know, most people have got the phones on them where mm -hmm. they can take a picture and upload it immediately. You know, sure. so it doesn't always cost a lot of money to implement, you know, um, things that people can easily mm -hmm. access and report right. things. Because a lot of times we do think, well, it's not really my problem. Somebody else can report it or it's somebody else's, you know, it's somebody else's issue. You know, they can they can deal with that because I think that that's where we're at, where we need to start reporting incidences. But we've been to places where people mm -hmm. aren't sure whether something is a hazard or a near miss. Which is a problem, right. You know, so it, even education on that. I mean, I right. said the other day that, you know, you know when you've worked somewhere a while, but you don't know what you're doing, you're at that awkward bit where you're like, right, I don't know what I'm <laughs> supposed to be doing, but I don't ask anybody because they're going to think, well, what you've been doing for the last two months. <laughs> right. You know, some businesses have done that. For example, we went into one business they came up with this fantastic app that cost £1.99. And basically, it was video tutorials of how you do your checks on your forklifts. Because what they found was that they had some people within the business whose reading and writing wasn't brilliant, you mm. know, who might find find it embarrassing to come forward and say, sure. I've got these issues. So they decided to go down the road of doing video tutorials. And it would have a tablet. Sure. They'd be trained on how to set that up, you know, and then they were able to watch a video on how they were supposed to be doing right. all the checks. Or they would do like a questionnaire where the answered the questions were put in different orders mm -hmm. each time. You know, so you're not just going, yes, 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 yes. Right. You know, so there's there's loads of different things that are out there. I think with health and safety, I think it's good when we are sharing mm -hmm. ideas, what other businesses have got, because that helps everybody. You know, Agreed. it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be, you know, top secret. But I think that there is a lot more businesses now who are prioritising health and safety, invest a lot of money into the safety of their staff. But again, everybody needs to participate. You can't just be them right at the top and mm -hmm. them right at the bottom because those in the middle can quite easily cause problems to stop them at the bottom working safely. I, I think there you talk about 
um, making it easy. I think that's really important. The organization's got to do something about the feedback that they receive. But I think the, the fundamental piece is they've got to encourage it. It's got to be a culture where I want yeah. this feedback. I want people yeah. to look for opportunities to drive improvement uh, versus you're a nuisance if you come up with issues or themes that come forward. And I think that's often the, the hardest part to change because everybody in the in the organization has got to shift their thinking and their response when yeah. somebody does bring up some challenges around it. Responsibility as well. Responsibility. Yeah. You know, we are all responsible. I can remember years ago when I first started at work, that's what we were told. You are responsible for yourself. You are responsible for your colleagues. I think that when we started introducing health and safety uh, positions or departments, Mm -hmm. sometimes what would happen is the rest of us would think, oh, brilliant, I I could go into that warehouse with my eyes shut because somebody else can make sure that I'm safe. You know, you kind of thought, well, that's not my job anymore. It must be safe. And that's what I would have thought. I would have thought... Whatever feelings I've got about the position of that walkway, it must be safe because we've got health and safety department here. So, you know, I'm overthinking it, you know, mm-hmm. so and that that's where it would have ended. I, n- I never would have reported it sure. because I didn't see it as that big of a, an issue, you know. When there was a lot of activity going on within that area, you've got the noise, you've got the lights, and you've got all of that going on, I would have been 100% alert. My accident happened Friday afternoon, half past three, when I was finishing at four o'clock. I'd finished all of my work. You know, nothing else was left to be done. And for whatever reason, I did not look in that container. I just walked past. So thank you. You've shared a lot of of important themes um, around cutting corners, uh, around acceptance of risks, uh, around speaking up in the role of an organization, around creating that questioning attitude. You both speak together. Tell me a little bit about the the focus of your presentations that you make um, in organizations. Yeah, I focus on me, 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 and, <laughs> you know, but to be honest, I think that when the more powerful speech is by Dave, because... because I deal with the family, mm. right. particularly our son, Lisa's parents, and I do think that that comes across then because people mm. start thinking, you know, how would my family cope? What would happen to me? What would happen to them? And I think that that then comes across a lot harder. Yeah, it hits home. Mm. When me and Dave first very did uh, did our very first speech, it was about five years ago, and it was the, for the Fortlift Truck Association in the UK. I made Dave do it. He wasn't down to do a speech. So I made him do it. And when I heard him speak, I cried the whole time. It hadn't even crossed my mind that he went through anything. And that's the honest truth. And for a long time, I would listen to him and I'd cry because you're so focused on yourself and how it's changed your life. You know, it's like if he would have said said out loud to anybody, I've lost my job. 
I've got to sell my car because the wheelchair won't fit in it. If he'd have moaned about anything like that, he would have been lynched by my family and friends. You know, his life changed so much, but I didn't even see that. All I saw was how my life had changed. I'm the one that's injured. I'm the one that's lost my leg. I'm the one that's disabled now. I haven't, I, I never saw all the things that he had to give up to continue being part of my life, if you get what I mean. You know, so when you're the injured party, you can become very selfish because you only see what you've lost. You know, you don't see what other people have lost. And unfortunately, by the time you've come to terms with it, in Kieran's case, it was kind of too late because Kieran no longer wanted a mum to be disciplining him. You know, because by the time I decided, right, okay, I'm all right now, I've had my counselling, I've come to terms with it, I can start being a mum, you know, a mum again, he was off the rails. It was too late at that point. He needed that structure throughout, you know, but I couldn't see, I couldn't see what was right in front of me and that how it had, had affected him so much and his behaviour had been affected. All right. So, so Lisa, David, thank you very much for coming on the show. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Probably on LinkedIn. Perfect. I don't know whether I can give you a link for that. I can also give you some links to some free resources. There's a very short video that I did for the Fortlift Truck Association. I know that the statistics won't be the same, but in the UK, there's five Fortlift accidents a day. Oh you know, and, and I would imagine that um, where you are, again, you would think that your health and safety standards are probably one of the best in the world. So, I mean, that was quite shocking to me that in the UK mm. that we've got... Five a day. There's also yeah. a short film, and I can send the link for that. So if there's anybody who's listening who have got issues with forklifts within their business that they can use those resources, whether it be an induction mm -hmm. or as a training day. And we'll put those in the links uh, with the podcast episode. So thank you very much, David and Lisa. I really appreciate you joining. Thank you. No worries. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.